And so this morning, uh, I'm here with a message today. I want to talk about John chapter 9. Now, it's uh, a story that you've probably heard before. It's the story of Jesus healing a man who was born blind. Now, you probably think when you hear that, he's going to preach about Jesus healing a man. That's probably going to catch like exactly zero people by surprise. Like, oh, he did what? And then I'm going to be up there and say, uh, Jesus has the power and authority to heal people. And you say, yeah, duh, okay, let's go get lunch. Uh, we've learned nothing here today. But the reason uh, I was intrigued by this story is because it's a story that I've read and, and there was things within it that I didn't quite understand and just kind of always just kind of glanced over. There's some interesting things in this story. And then recently I took some time to kind of dive in and, and, and really study it a little more. And I was really excited about some of the things I discovered about this story. Now, I, I wanna kind of set the stage a little bit before we dive into this story. Uh, because like I said, if you've been around church for more than a couple minutes, a story of Jesus healing someone uh, is probably not going to surprise anyone. We, we know who Jesus was. We know how he, he healed so many people. It was such a significant part of his ministry. When, when Jesus was on, was on earth, healings were just common everywhere he went. He was constantly healing people everywhere he was. And so Jesus' healings were really groundbreaking, and while it might not surprise us today in our 2021 vision looking back, when Jesus came on the scene and started healing these people, it was groundbreaking. And while healing might seem like this common theme that we hear about in scripture, throughout the, whole te the, the Old Testament, it really wasn't. In fact, in the entire Old Testament, there's only 12 physical healings. And then Jesus comes up on the scene and he heals more than that people like in a weekend, 12 people, that's like nothing for Jesus. And so when you look at the whole Old Testament, I mean, we got 39 books covering 4,000 years of history and there's only 12 physical healings. And then Jesus comes on the scene and he is healing people day after day, everywhere he goes, he's healing everyone he comes in contact with. So many healings. In fact, in the book of John, the, he closes this book by saying, if I were to have recorded all the things that we witnessed Jesus doing, I suppose that there wouldn't be enough room in the world to contain all the books that we would fill. So now here's the interesting thing. We talk about there's so many healings that Jesus performed. They were so common. They were groundbreaking because it wasn't something that we've seen much in scripture up until this point. John has witnessed so many miracles, but when he sits down and writes his gospel, he only told the story of three healings. So that led me to the question of like, okay, well, if he saw Jesus do all these things, why? Why did he record these ones? There must have been something significant about them. There's the healing of the official's son in John chapter four, and then the, the healing of, the, of a lame man in John chapter five. And then when we get to John chapter nine, this is the third and final healing that we see in this book. And so it led me to this question, this story that I've kind of always just kind of glanced over, like, yeah, Jesus healed a blind man. There was a blind man, he gave him sight, and growing up in church never really surprised me. But then looking at like, 
how significant this must have been when John sat down to write this book to prove to the world that Jesus is Lord, that, that he was who he says he is. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior. He included this story. So uh, hopefully I've laid a bit of a foundation for this story and intrigued you a little bit. I want to dive in. We're going to read through John chapter 9, the whole thing, okay? So buckle your seatbelts and, uh, you know, that, like that dad quote. I don't want to see anyone resting with their eyes closed, okay? None of that this morning, okay? So hopefully I've intrigued you a little bit. Let's read through it. So this is John chapter 9. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. See, there was no gasp. No one said, oh, he could see? I told you it wouldn't catch you by surprise. I told you. Let's keep going. His neighbors and those who formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud. He put it on my eyes and he told me to go wash in the pool of Siloam and, or go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought him to the Pharisees, the man they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now on the day which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was the Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one they say was born blind? How is it that he can now see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we do not know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That is why his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. A second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. They asked him, 
What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? (laughs) Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now this is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to the sinner. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this, they replied, you were steeped in sin at your birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that he, had, that, they, that he had been thrown out, and when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have seen him. In fact, he is speaking with you. He is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment, I have come into this world so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some of the Pharisees who were, uh, some of the, sorry, some who were with him heard him say this and asked, what are we blind to? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim to see, your guilt remains. I know that was a big chunk there. I know it's a lot like drinking out of a fire hose. But there's just a couple things that I want to go back through and point out. There were some of these things in this story, like Jesus, you know, picking up this mud. And I always looked at it, that's kind of weird. And then Jesus saying, you know, well, you're, if, you're, if you were blind, then you're, you're, you, you, know, you, you wouldn't be guilty. But since you claim to see your guilt. And I looked at so many different things in this story and just kind of like didn't quite understand it. As I studied it more, oh, God has just encouraged me so much through this story. So I pray that this, it would be an encouragement to you this morning. So I want to start right back at the beginning and break it down a little bit. So when Jesus is traveling with his disciples and they encounter this man who was born blind, they present this theological puzzle. Who sinned? Who sinned and caused this? This was a common uh, belief system in the Jewish culture that, that if someone was going through suffering, that it must be a result of a specific sin. An individual sin must have led to suffering. And this was especially true with unusual symptoms. And so in this case, the man was born blind. And that's why they raised this question, like how could this man's sin have caused him to be blind? If he was born blind, then maybe it was the sin of his parents, or what's going on? Is it some sort of generational curse that's been placed on this guy, or what's going on? And if you make your way through the Old Testament, you'll encounter this kind of system of thinking many times. One of the most common ones is the story of Job. If you guys know the story of Job, Job went through this, this wild suffering. And then there's this part in the, in the book of Job where his friends sit down with him and they're like, okay, Job, let's fess up here, buddy. Tell us what's going on. What's really going on? What aren't we seeing here? There's gotta be something that, that's leading 
to all of this. For some reason, you've done something, and now God has just looked away as this suffering has fallen on you. There's some, something you must be doing that is keeping God from coming in and rescu- rescuing you. And Jesus gives this very interesting response. He says, neither this man nor his parents sin, but this has happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. It's an interesting response. Now, sin has natural consequences. And Jesus was certainly not separating sin and consequences. But he, he's pointing to something bigger. Now, it's Father's Day. How many of you guys have kids? One of the things that Stephanie and I teach our kids, this is really, I, I can't really like put this to me. This was all Stephanie's doing. But one of the things that we do with the kids is we teach them that when we disobey, things don't go well, right? So we ask our kids this question as like a reminder. What happens when we disobey? And they'll respond, things don't go well, right? When we disobey, things don't go well. God, it works the same way with him. When we look at the scripture, when we look at God's word, when we look at maybe the things that we think of as rules and his commands, they weren't given to, to, to take the fun out of life or to test us. But it's because he is a good, good father and he loves us and he's looking out for us. Just like you guys look out for your kids and you make rules and things to keep them safe, God does the same things with us. So as we make our way through scripture, you can almost always see the why with God. You can always see the heart behind it. It's not like God's up there like, listen, I know that pizza and ice cream is really good, so don't eat that every meal because I know how tasty it is. Don't be a glutton. No, God knows that how a lifestyle of gluttony will affect our health and how the, the results it will have on us. He's not up there saying like, hey, you know, you need to remain sexually pure before your marriage because I don't want you to have any fun in life. No, God loves us. He has our best future in mind. He, he knows what's best for us. He wants to love us and he wants to protect us. So with God, we can always see the why. Maybe, maybe gossip, right? Why? God doesn't want us to gossip because he loves everyone. These are people he's made in his image that he cares for. He gave up his life for. He knows the, the, the consequences of gossip. It brings division, right? So with God, we can always see a why. So when we disobey, things usually don't go well. And it's not God's punishment or anger or looking away from us and just, I'm, oh, I, I, this bad thing's coming. I was going to rescue it, but I saw what you did yesterday. I'm just going to let that suffering fall on you now. That's not what it is. But when we disobey, things do not go well. So our actions will certainly uh, lead to different consequences in our lives. And so Jesus wasn't, wasn't debunking that, but he's debunking this idea that, that, that God is going to look away as this special suffering or that, that it's, it's gonna be the result, our suffering comes from an individual sin. So what, what he's really saying is that it wasn't the sin of this man or of his parents or his grandparents, but it was actually the result of his great, 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 grandpa Adam in the garden. When Adam and Eve sin, 
That was the fall. That's when destruction came into the world. That's when all the negative consequences came in. That's when the hurt and suffering came in. And so now because of that, we live in a broken world and we all suffer the consequences of that original sin as we live in this broken place. And so when we live in a life of obedience to God, things will certainly go better. But even if our heart is fully submitted and we seek to honor and obey him in every step of the way, we still go through the hills and valleys of life. We still live in this broken world and we all live in the natural consequences of that. So Jesus gives this very, this, this interesting response. He kind of answers their question briefly and says, no, it's not, it's not that, it's not that he's sinners. But he says it's happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. I think what Jesus is saying is like, you guys are trying to simplify this and, and just put the little easy answer on it, but you gotta understand that God is painting on a canvas that is so much bigger than what you're seeing. You guys in your narrow focus are way too zoomed in to see a God who is sovereign over everything. If you guys read through the book of Job, and when you get to the point when God shows up, man, for four chapters, God just unloads with some of the most powerful things that, that you'll hear in scripture. Just God is just saying like, Job, my turn. Let me answer you. And he just shows him like, Job, like I am so huge. I am so much bigger than you can wrap your little mind around. He's a God who spoke all of life into existence. He's, he's so big. He's so powerful. There's this verse in Isaiah that I love that personally gives me so much peace. It's Isaiah 55 verse 6. It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. And sometimes I feel like, I'll make it an I statement. I try and put God on my level and I try to bring him into my rationality and into my view of justice. And God's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm so much bigger. Your thoughts aren't my thoughts. Your ways aren't my ways. I, I am painting on a canvas that is so much bigger than what you see. And so in this moment with, with, with his disciples, I think Jesus is teaching this to them. And he's saying, listen, this thing that you guys are looking at and you're like, oh, this, is, this terrible thing happened to this man. This must be the result of something really bad someone did. He did something wrong or his parents did something wrong. And, and now this suffering and, God, and Jesus is like, what you now view as this horrible thing that certainly must be the, the result of God looking away is actually going to be used to display the works of God through him. It's such a powerful statement. And then he goes on and says something else kind of interesting. As long as it's day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Interesting thing. So why? Well, Jesus is there with a blind man, and this guy was born blind, so he's never seen. Night is coming. So it'd be kind of mean to give this guy sight when night's coming, and then he can finally see, and then he can't see anything because it's dark. That's a joke, everybody. That, that was a joke. That's not, that's not actually what he's talking about. When he's talking about how night is coming, he's talking about day and night, darkness and light, life 
and death. He's talking about the time that they've been given. He says, listen, night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. I am going to be here for a a short period of time. And while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And we have to do the work of him who sent me because night is coming. We've been given this time together. We've been given this time that we have. You've been given this time that you have in your life, but night is coming. And while we're here, we have to do the work of him who sent me. There's one thing that I really wanna point out in here. It's that word right there. We, we must do the work of him who sent me. I love that because Jesus is not like, listen, I'm a big deal. I left heaven to come to this dump. So (laughs) I don't got time for your questions. I'm about to do something cool. Come watch. I'm about to do something. No, he takes the time to care for his disciples and he brings them along in this mission. And he says, we must do the works of him who sent me. We, we must do the works of him who sent me. He's including them in the mission. Church, the, the, the mission of Jesus is our mission. We are included in this. We must do the works of him who sent me. The followers of Jesus are invited to be a part of this mission. And so what I love is that when it starts with this theological question, this thing that they they didn't quite understand, Jesus used it as an opportunity to point them to the urgency that, that we need to have to fulfill this mission that he's given us. And he's saying, like, let's not get so caught up in these these arguments of doctrine because we have a mission to fulfill. And then later on, we see the Pharisees and they get all caught up in it. They're, they're like, well, how could this work? Because he's a sinner. Well, if he's a sinner, he couldn't do that. And they get in this big old, you know, theological wrestling match. And they're trying to, to, to wrap their head around it. And they're getting all caught up in, their, in, in, in religion and, and figuring it all out. And then the works of God are displayed in front of them and they just completely miss it. Jesus in the flesh passes by in front of them and they're so caught up and trying to figure out and have all the little answers that they just completely missed it. So what I I see in this is that I feel like we can get so caught up in just the, the minutia of religion when God is calling us of a work to do. Now, don't hear me say that these things are, are not important or if you have a question, it should just go unanswered. That's not what I'm saying. I pray that we would read our Bibles and that we would dive in deep and we would study them. And when we have those questions, we would, we would talk about it with fellow believers and, and we would get together in small groups and open the word of God and sharpen each other through each other's faith. But not to let these doctrines divide us not to get caught up in, in, in these, these theological wrestling matches and miss out on a mission that we have been called to. So my prayer is that we would not get caught up in debating these doctrines that divide, divide us, but that we would band together on a mission that unites us. We've been called together for a purpose, church. He called us out of the darkness and into this marvelous light. And he's called us together to go and, and run into the world with urgency to do the works of him who sent Jesus. We 
are part of this mission. So then we get to this point in the story where Jesus spits in the dirt. This is kind of one of those things that I always overlooked. Like, oh, he spit in the dirt. It's kind of interesting, right? He spits in the dirt. He makes this mud. He puts it on the guy's eyes. The whole thing kind of seems gross. <laughs> and it's such an odd thing to do, especially if you read through the Bible and you see everything else that Jesus did. There's a storm, and he's just like, hey, shh, and the storm just calms. He can use his voice, and he has authority all over everything. You know, he would use his voice to cast out demons. When he would heal people, he'd lay his hands on them. Sometimes he didn't even show up. He'd heal people from afar. Hey, go home. They're healed. They're good. So Jesus had all authority to do whatever he wanted in any way he wanted, then he chooses to spit in the dirt, rub it on the guy's face, and then make him wash in a pool. <laughs> Isn't it so interesting? So this is one of those things that always kind of stumped me. And then as I was studying it, I thought, huh, can you imagine if Jesus tried to perform that miracle today, 2021? He encounters a blind man. He's like, hey, sure, I could heal you. I'm just gonna just spit in this dirt. I'm gonna rub it on your face. And he, whoa, 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 whoa. No, no, thank you. You stay six feet back. You keep that mask on. Thank you very much. I'm fine with my blindness. Six feet, sir. Spit on my face. Gross. <laughs> but it's such an interesting thing to do. So it led me to this question of why. Why would he do this? Well, here's the truth. There's not a definitive answer. There's no right answer here. There's not uh, the, an exact answer of why he did it. But there's something that kind of stands out to me that I think is really cool. And now this is just my thoughts for a minute, okay? So don't like, don't write this in your Bible as additional scripture or anything like that. But this is just something that I find is so cool. He spits in the dirt, makes the mud. He asks him to go and wash in this pool and the man does. Now, this story is different from every other miracle, every other healing in scripture because this is the only instance when Jesus heals a man who was born with the condition that he had, the only one. And so when Jesus goes to heal this guy, he's not just fixing something that's broken. This guy didn't have his sight and lose it. Now he's gonna fix his eyes. Jesus is coming in to give this man eyes to see. Jesus is not just about the fix. He's about to create He's about to create. He's about to give him new eyes to see. The book of John starts like this, which I love how, how it all starts and how it kind of comes together here. John 1, verse 1 through 3, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. All things were made through him. At the beginning, God creates the world and everything in it just by speaking it all into existence. But then when he gets to mankind, he does something different. When it comes time to create man, he doesn't just say man. He forms him from the dust of the earth. He hand makes man in his image. He gets down in the dirt, he gets his hands dirty and he makes mankind the masterpiece of creation, the thing that was made in his image, the thing that stands out. And then I love that thousands of years later when Jesus finds himself on earth and he encounters a man 
who needed something created in his life. Jesus gets down in the dirt and he gets his hands dirty again. He picks up that dirt, he spits in it, and he puts it on the man's eyes, and then he tells him to go wash. Now, why? Was the dirt not enough? Well, I love that it was this man's first step of obedience. This blind man now has to go, go find the pool and wash it off. He has to respond in obedience to this crazy thing that this man has just done. He's got to take the step of faith to now go do what Jesus says, and he does. He goes, he washes in the pool, and he sees for the first time. And I love this story because I feel like in a way it calls back to creation and we see the authority and power of Jesus. But also I think it paints just such a beautiful picture of what Jesus does for all of us. Because of sin, we are all blind. We are born spiritually blind We are stumbling through life, knocking into things, experiencing the natural results of our our dumb decisions, and, and we are hopeless, we are lost, we are broken on our own. We are nothing more than a beggar in need. And Jesus comes in and he recreates us. If we will respond to Jesus, if we if we will take that step of obedience to respond to him. He recreates us. He washes us clean and he gives us new life. So if you're here this morning and you can relate to that, like, listen, I know I'm lost. I know I've been stumbling through and I just keep, uh, you know, bumping into things and hurting myself and I'm lost and hopeless on my own. Let me tell you, you will not be able to self-reflect enough to find the root of every problem in your life. Because it is a sin problem. It is a problem that we are all born into. And there is only one solution, and it is Jesus. It is Jesus, the only one who can come in and recreate us and give us new life. It's Jesus. So if that's you this morning, he stands at the door and knocks. Will you respond to him in obedience and give him the chance to give you new life? And that's exactly what this man's experience was. I love this, that, that, that he comes back seeing. He comes back seeing. And, and then we see all the different responses to this man. People are like, wait, is this the, the blind guy? The guy that we've seen begging? The, 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 the guy who, who we've all known? We, we know this guy. He was born blind, never seen a thing in his life. Now he's walking around, he can see. Some people are like, yeah, that's him. And some people are like, no, no way. No, it's just got to look like him. It can't be the same guy. We see some people are, are questioning. Some people are in utter denial and just refuse to believe it. And we see all these different responses. But what I love is that's the mark of a real encounter with Jesus. That's the mark. People will look on and say, what happened here? This, then there's no way. This can't be the same guy. Because Jesus doesn't come in and just patch up the wounds he recreates. He gives us new life. We are born again. We were blind, now we see. When people look on, it's not just a slightly better person of the, new, the, the man they knew before. It's a, this can't be the same guy. What happened here? And maybe you're here this morning, you say, well, you know, I don't know, like my story, 
Like, I wasn't blind, and now I can see. And that story's not that bad. Like, you know, I didn't, I, I haven't gone through anything really crazy in life. Let me tell you this verse right here. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. If anyone is, oh, hang on. What did it say? If who? Anyone. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. If anyone is in Christ, okay, Anyone, anyone and everyone who makes that choice to follow Jesus, once they step out in obedience to follow him, to surrender their life, the old is gone, the new has come. It is a new life. Jesus comes in and recreates. He doesn't just fix. He doesn't just patch us up. He comes in like a wrecking ball and he demolishes our old life. The old is gone. The new has come. He demolishes the old version of our life and he recreates. He gives us new life. And so if you're here and you're in Christ, let me tell you, this is your story. This is your story. So my question for you is how have the works of God been displayed in your life? How have the works of God been displayed in your life? If you were in Christ, you were a new creation. You were blind and now you see. And the works of God have been displayed through you. The transforming power of Jesus is now on display in your life. The recreating power of Jesus is now on display in your life. So what's your story? What's your testimony? What are the graves that he's turned into gardens? What are the seas that you've seen part before you? What was the old, messy, garbage version of yourself that God has created into something new? Because that's the power of our story. That is the power of our testimony. So they bring this man into the Pharisees, and then it's just like a big old mess. They cannot wrap their heads around this because it's like, well... You know, how could this happen? It happened on, 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 the, on, on the Sabbath. So if, if it happened on the Sabbath, then he's a sinner. He doesn't even obey God. So if, if he doesn't obey God, he's a sinner. Well, if he's a sinner, then how do you explain all the amazing things that we've seen this man do? So once they, 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 they asked this guy, like, hey, what's going on here? How did this happen? They said, that man called Jesus. He spit in the dirt, put mud in my eyes, told me to wash, now I see. And they say, where is this man? And he says, I was born blind. You're asking me for directions? Like, I've been able to see for five minutes now. You're asking me where he went? <laughs> That's a joke, too. Uh, he says, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. So then they bring him in. And, and they start questioning him in, and then this, 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 this problem is raised of the Sabbath. And I love this story in Mark chapter two. They were always trying to catch Jesus, always trying to trip him up. He's doing this, he's doing that. He can't be from God. There's this story, Jesus and his disciples are traveling. They go through a field of grain and some of them pick it up and eat it. And they're like, ah, we got him. They're working on the Sabbath. They're not from God. And I love Jesus' reply right here. He's like, what well, you guys... What are you guys talking about? That's not what he said, but this is what he says. He says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man, not for the Sabbath. He's like, what, do you guys get it? You guys act like God was up there in heaven and he's like, I'm gonna make some rules and I'm gonna make some people to follow those rules. 
He's like, do you not understand it? These laws were given for your benefit. God wasn't like, I am gonna make a day of rest and you will not work. You'll stay at home and you will enjoy yourself. Got it? You better like it. No, God, God loves us. He knows what's best for us. He knows the rest we need. So he gave us the Sabbath, right? He's like, you guys don't get it. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. But the, the Pharisees are so caught up in their own thoughts, in their own worldview, that they just, they can't bend it. They, 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 they have to somehow mold what just happened into what they already believe. Because they're so convinced they're right. And this man's story just breaks it all. It shatters it. So they bring him in. And they start questioning him in. And he, and he tells them the story. Eventually, they turn to him and they say, all right, well, what, what's your opinion? You're the one who was blind and now you see. What do you think? He says, I think he must be a prophet. Then they go and get the man's parents. They're like, all right, we got we to gotta disprove him in some way. This cannot be right. We know, what we, we know we're right. We know we believe and why we believe it. And this doesn't fit into it. So this can't be right. We have to figure out how this man's lying. We must disprove this. So they go and bring the, the, kid, the, the, the man's parents in. They're like, hey, you're gonna have to ask him about this because they know that they're on the line of getting excommunicated from the church if they say that Jesus somehow had, the, had the, the power and authority of doing this. So then they go back to questioning the guy again and they I love this, give glory to God by telling the truth. Like they're like trying to guilt him. Like, hey, let's bring God into it. Hey, give God, we know this man's a sinner. And then I love this because once again, we find a theological puzzle. Well, how? how? He's a sinner. But, the, but if he's a sinner, how could he do this thing that obviously, how, how? They ask him, how could he do this? We, we, we know this man's a sinner. And he says, whether he is a sinner or not, I, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. I love that. Because he doesn't take the bait. He doesn't fall into the, the trap to go and debate theology because these guys, man, if he would have gotten a debate with these guys, they know the scripture like the back of their hand. They've been memorizing it since they were, since they were children. They know this stuff. They, this would have been a bad idea for them, him to try and get in there and be like, well, technically, I think that, you know, no, that's a, that's a trap. But he says, you know what? I don't know. Whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. I know one thing. I was blind, but now I see. But how? How did he make that happen? How? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I know. I could not see. I met Jesus. Now I do see. Like, what else do you want me to tell you? And they go on and they say, well, how did he do it? What did he do? How did he do it? He said, I told you already. You didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become one of his disciples too? <laughs> if you're one of his friends sitting in the room, like washed on, you're like, oh, no, he didn't. Uh-oh. <laughs> like, this is a bad news here. And oh, you can feel the heat in these guys rising. <laughs> you're this fellow's disciple. You know, we're disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to him. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. And then I love this verse here because you can sense a change here. 
and you can feel the courage in this man rising and he's starting to realize, oh, I'm not the blind man in this story. He says, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they say, if you were steeped in sin at your birth, they bring it right, right back to that original issue. You are, your suffering was brought because you were a sinner. You were steeped in sin at your birth. How dare you lecture us? Anyone ever steeped tea before? You make tea, but you put all the stuff in there and you like pull the flavor out. It's like, oh, you were steeped. In, that's like a deep insult. Like, oh, how'd they come up with that? Ooh, you were steeped in sin at your birth. But I, I just love the way that this man handles it. He just keeps coming back to his story. I was blind, now I see. I was blind, I did what Jesus told me to, now I see. He keeps coming back to it. And it, and it just broke these, these Pharisees because it didn't fit in. And they, and they, try, and, they try and trap them. They, they try and lead them into this debate. And he just keeps sharing his story. I was blind, but now I see, I already told you. I don't, I don't understand it all. I don't know. I don't know how he did it. I know I was blind, now I see, and it was Jesus. And that's the thing. Our story should not make sense. It's not a scientific thing. It's not something that could be physically proven. The transforming power of Jesus is unexplainable outside of the name of Jesus. It's something that you look on and you say, that can't be the same guy. What happened? Oh, Jesus. He was, how did he do it? How did he give you sight? Jesus. Jesus is the only answer. And that's what it's all about. Because through our lives, the works of God are being displayed through Jesus' transforming power in our lives. This man was blind and now he sees and it was done so the works of God could be displayed through him. His story could not be disputed. They tried and tried over and over again. He didn't fall into the theological debate. He didn't fall into the scientific debate. He just says, I was blind, now I'm seeing. The, the power is not in the explanation. The power is in the name of Jesus. And the power is in my witness. It's in the life that he lives. So um, it's an encouraging story to me that we don't have to have all the answers. It's like, oh man, I want to go share my faith with this person, but they're really smart and they know a lot about science. They're going to ask me this. Gonna... I was blind, now I see. That's a powerful story. That's, well, how? Jesus. We don't have to know it all. We don't have to have all the answers. We don't have to be able to explain everything and be able to debate everything perfectly. We just have to know the name of Jesus. And by the life we live, the works of God will be displayed in, and it will lead people on to ask questions. What happened? Jesus transformed me. So then this story goes on and, and, and they throw him out. And then, they, and then they, they, Jesus comes and, 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 and tells this man that he is indeed the Messiah. The man believes and he worships him. And then Jesus gives this last little kind of puzzling thing. For judgment, I have come into the world so that the blind will see and that those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard this and said, what? <laughs> 
Are we blind too? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim to see, your guilt remains. Has anyone ever seen those Febreze commercials? The nose blind commercials? Like the things that you've gone nose blind to? Has anyone heard that before? When you go nose blind, it's when like you don't smell the things that you're used to smelling, like the odors in your own house. So there's the commercial where the boy's like throwing his soccer socks and like he's in his room and is happy. And then his mom walks in the room and is like, whoa. It's almost like this is how the, the Pharisees have become. They're so stuck in their ways. They're so stuck and convinced that they are right, that they, they, have, they have to reject the miracle that has happened before them. They're so caught up in their theology that they miss Jesus right there in front of them. And the works of God were being displayed right before their very eyes and they chose to reject it. And so it's not that Jesus was saying that you guys can't see. He's saying that you won't see. He says, I am the light of the world. The light has appeared right before you and you've chose to reject it to remain in the light. So it's not that you can't, it's that you won't see. So I wanna close up this morning. I hope that this has been encouraging to you. This story reveals so much about Jesus and who he was and his transforming power. It points to his, his deity, to the authority that he has, but I feel like this miracle also so much, uh, teaches us so much about us that Jesus wants to include us in the work that he is doing right from the beginning when he said, we, we must do the work of him who sent me. He used this man and his physical blindness to point to the spiritual blindness of the world. And when this theological question was raised, he answered it, but then he pointed his disciples to the urgency they needed to have to fulfill this mission. So my prayer is that we would grasp that, that we would take the time to reflect on our lives and see how the works of God have been displayed through our own lives and know that the power is in our testimony. It is the thing that is undisputable, and that we would run to the world with urgency, knowing that the world is blind and needs to see. The world is sick and we've found a cure. So let's not just sit here in our holy huddles and, and debate the little minutia of religion. Let's run to the world with urgency because we must do the work of him who sent Jesus into this world. We have a mission to fulfill. So let's not get caught up in the doctrines that divide us. Let's band together on a mission that unites us. Let's dive into the world, into the word. Let's read his word and study it and, 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 and seek to get a deeper understanding, but let's go live it out. There's a blind world that is stumbling and hurting and broken. And we found the person who has the power to recreate and give new life. Let's get some urgency, church. This is our mission. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we love you and thank you for who you are. And God, we thank you for your transforming power. Jesus, I thank you for what you've done in my life. When I felt lost, when I felt hopeless, when I felt broken, when I felt purposeless, you came in and you recreated me. Despite the brokenness of my past, you invited me to be a part of your mission. God, I thank you for that opportunity. God, I pray that we wouldn't miss it, 
God, I pray that we wouldn't sit there and think, oh, my, well, my story's not really that powerful. God, you recreate. The old is gone, the new is come, and that is a powerful testimony. So God, I pray that we would run to the world to display your transforming power before them. God, let, the, let, let us to be simply like this blind man. I, I don't know. I might not be able to answer all your questions. Those are some great questions. Those, those are tough. All I know is I was blind and now I see. And it was Jesus who transformed me. So God, I pray that over this church, God, that you would spark an urgency in us to go out to this lost world with a message of hope, that we would run to the blind and point them to the healer. Jesus, we love you. And God, we thank you for who you are. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.